electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, setting the U.S. up for vaccination success. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar on the road ahead. Remember, we now have commitments for 900 million doses of vaccine. We have options to take us up to 3 billion doses of vaccine. And we're looking at J&J and AstraZeneca possibly having data early January. The end may finally be edging closer, but he's still recommending we pare down holiday celebrations. I do recommend to people, please exercise that extra bit of caution this holiday season because we've got these vaccines. So many developments, so much hope for the future. A dose of hope and logic from our own Joe Kernan. Get one in each arm and one in each cheek if you you need to. Plus, from the man behind the biggest deals of our time, Verizon and Yahoo, Charter and Time Warner, Viacom and CBS, and even the Snap IPO, comes a series of 2021 projections. Lion Tree's Arye Berghoff on media in the year to come. Exclusive content on your platform is now critical. That's the game. That can be done in production and development, but also be done through acquisition. So I think you'll see all the platforms start to buy up the remaining IP studios. It's Thursday, December 17th, 2020, a snowy day for our East Coast listeners. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box. This is CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Yeah, let it snow. We're warm and cozy right now. Lucky us. Do we have snow totals? What, what did we finally get? I haven't been out there. Uh, Becky, do you know in, in Jersey, do we get a foot? I, it Doesn't looks look like, like it, a foot. At least, it, it's at least six inches. It's at least six inches, but I don't think a foot. But I also heard in the middle of the night, like heavier, like icy stuff coming down. So maybe Winds. it's pushing down. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, a good day to be in the basement here. Uh, I, I will admit that, although I hate the delay. Vice President Mike Pence will publicly receive a COVID-19 vaccine tomorrow. The White House said that he wants to promote the safety and efficacy of the vaccine and build confidence among the American people. His wife, Karen Pence, and Surgeon General Jerome Adams will also be getting the jab at tomorrow's event. President-elect Biden is expected to receive the vaccine as soon as next week. I don't want to get ahead of the line, but I want to make sure that we demonstrate to the American people that uh, it is safe to take. Uh, I'll be, they're working on that plan right now. And when I do it, I'll do it publicly. And uh, so you all can uh, actually witness my getting it done. Former Presidents Obama, Bush and Clinton have all also volunteered to take the vaccine on camera. And new this morning, Sir Ian McKellen has become the latest celebrity to receive the vaccine. The 81-year-old actor said he felt euphoric to get that jab. I am feeling so happy and relieved and optimistic and everything that I haven't been really feeling for a long time now. I couldn't be happier. Uh, I'll carry on wearing the mask and social distancing and all that, but it it does mean that I can imagine going back to work. Go Gandalf. In the meantime, an Alaska healthcare worker suffered an allergic reaction to Pfizer's COVID vaccine on Tuesday. She had no previous allergic reactions to medicine. A doctor who treated her said that she responded to typical treatments, including the EpiPen and steroids. 
A second worker at the same hospital developed puppy, puffy eyes and was a little lightheaded, also had a scratchy throat. He was treated in the ER and then released, and the hospital said it was not considered anaphylaxis. Here's the response from Dr. Anthony Fauci at last night's CNBC Healthy Returns event. You may see reactions that you didn't see in the clinical trial. So we had the two in the UK, and now what you just reported, someone in Alaska. So what the Pfizer people are saying, that if you have a history of a severe allergic reaction, you should either not take this vaccine, or if you do take it, take it in the context of a place where if you do develop an allergic reaction, it could be readily and effectively treated. I guess that means have an EpiPen standing by. The CDC's current recommendation is that anyone who has ever had a severe allergic reaction to a medical injection should not get this vaccine, at least not at this point. Andrew? And then there's this other issue that we should talk about, uh, which is uh, that the vials of Pfizer's vaccine caused a stir yesterday. Report said the vials, which are supposed to hold five doses, can contain enough vaccine, in some cases, for a sixth or even seventh dose. Now, Pfizer says that's because of variations in the type of needles and syringes used. Those extra doses were being discarded because they weren't approved for delivery. But the FDA has now said that any full dose that can be obtained from the vials can be used, but it must not be pooled with remnants from other vials. Um, and uh, maybe we'll talk to Dr. Scott Gottlieb about this, but apparently the way when you actually fill these, fill these bottles, you, you top them up a little bit extra in part because uh, they want to make sure there's some extra so that when the needles go in to take it out, uh, there's, you're not taking just bubbles at the bottom. But as a result, in some cases, there's actually a little bit more in there, which could be good news because potentially uh, some more people could get vaccinated as a result. It just, you know, when I first heard it, I thought, great, this is excellent news. I'm a little confused when they say it depends on the type of syringe you use or the type of saline that you mix it with or how much saline. It just makes me wonder, is everybody getting the same exact amount of this? Because my guess would be that when they're right. manufacturing this, they're pretty specific and, and, and exact in how much they put in each vial. So in some cases, if you can get six, in other cases, seven, Sounds like there could be a little bit of operator error that's taking place. I think it's great news if they can squeeze more out of it. And it makes sense to me that you'd have more than an exact five amount in there because you'd want to make sure, like you said, you're not getting bubbles at the bottom. What I don't understand is when they, they say it's a different syringe or a different mixing amount. I mean, that that is a little concerning. Well, if it's really d crucial on dose and dose dependent, and that's what the clinical trials were based on, uh, either there's some extra right. in the vials or someone's not getting, you know, you just do the math. Uh, there must be a little bit of extra right. in, in the vials if everyone gets the, 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 the exact dose they're supposed to get. But, you know, it seems a little bit, uh, you know, it, it's never that exact. You figure with a, with a, yeah, with a, yeah. <laughs> with a syringe. And, you know, the, those are arbit some of those dosages you see in clinical trials are kind of arbitrary. I mean, it's a difference between... Uh, you know, a factor of two or three uh, in terms of the dosage. So it's not like 10 uh, percent of a if it's one time versus two times the, the level versus three times. If, if they decide on, well, it's a one time dosage and it's 10 percent above that, it probably is not, uh, right. you know, that big a deal. I, I think not, it's OK. Huge, I think it's good. But it's I'm, just, I'm, it's, I, I think it's probably OK. Look, I believe it, in the science. It is disconcerting. I would get this vaccine today or tomorrow. I would definitely get it, but it's always a little unnerving when you hear, when you think things are exact and you think right. things are scientific, and then you hear, eh, there's a little bit of, you know, imprecision that goes into this. 
Exactly. And then, uh, you know, don't, I don't know, I've got a little here, got a little here, the open air, let me pour it in here. Okay, this one's yours. It's like, can I have a, you open one of those new ones? Uh, no, they said don't please. mix it. I don't they know. said it, don't mix uh, the extras. If you no, can get I know. more out of one well, vial, they said okay. They said don't mix the vials. Right. Obviously, someone was thinking about it. Say, hey, we'll put these two together. I think it adds <laughs> up to. I mean, look, if you could squeeze another, you know. Right. Another 15 percent out of this. Fantastic. I'd love to see more doses. And it's great news if it's just because there's a little extra in there to top it off. It's just I'd like to hear a little bit more about exactly why it's happening. I thought I thought thought Joe was kind of cute. He's like, hey, I don't want to jump the line. You know what I mean? I don't want to. You're president, dude. You're president. (laughs) Have all you want. Take two. Jump the line. You know what I mean? Get one in each arm and one in each cheek if if you need to. Google is facing a lawsuit, new lawsuit from 10 states. Uh, it's accused of running an illegal digital advertising monopoly and enlisting Facebook uh, in a deal to rig ad auctions that was codenamed after Star Wars characters. So they had a code name. Uh, both companies already faced some federal antitrust lawsuits uh, that were filed in recent weeks. Google denied engaging uh, in any anti-competitive behavior and called the ad tech claims meritless. It's always a good uh, word to have in your lexicon. Uh, Beck, you know, it's, anyone says anything to you meritless? that you don't like, and you, it's merit. That's meritless. meritless. It's meritless. It has, it, stuff it. It, has, it has no merit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, stuff it. I, I want to know what code names they were using. I mean, were they calling it Darth Vader, the evil empire? Somebody just said in my ear that they were say, saying, what, Blue Jedi? Blue Jedi? These aren't the droids yeah. you're looking for? I guess that's pretty good. Yep. Chewy. Chewy's a pet company now, though. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I saw Luke uh, the other day on, on an ad, um, and he was famous, but I didn't know who the hell he was. But uh, he's, you know, kind of grizzled and got a beard. I, you've never but, watched uh, Star Wars. I don't understand that. I, 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 I no. can't see eye to eye with you on that. Like, uh, uh, for those of us who you know grew up with it, it, who loved it. If you miss the opportunity to watch it, like when it was out, you know, the string on, on the spaceship that you can sort of see and, the, you know, all that. I mean, it's oh, like impossible please. to watch. I'm, so, I'm sorry. live in the moment. I, I had a, when I was six, I had a Chewbacca T-shirt. You were like in college, right. not paying about, attention, um, too cool for all that. Yeah. Uh, what about, no, anyway. he's not going to be, he's not going to be uh, Han Solo, but he is going to be Indiana Jones, there's going to be a fifth one, and he's Again. 80. I mean, come on. Uh, and I'm going to uh, go. Maybe he'll... He's awesome. <laughs> Coming up, vaccine supply and vacation safety with Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. We do know when we do these indoor gatherings, household, multi-household gatherings, we let our guard down. Squawk Pod will be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Osorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. The rollout of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine continues and Moderna's vaccine could be administered as early as next week. 
Joining us right now is Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. And, and Mr. Secretary, it's great to see you this morning. This has been quite a week, something to watch, something we are all excited about, really hope and light at the end of the tunnel. How, how are things going so far? Uh, they're going well with the initial rollout. As you know, we've got 2.9 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine allocated for this week. I've gotten to go to George Washington University Hospital and MedStar Georgetown to see our healthcare workers getting vaccinated, and it's been going smoothly so far. We know there are going to be hiccups, though, uh, and that's why we've got the military and our great distributors involved. Uh, we try to anticipate them. We try to minimize execution risk, but uh, there'll, be, there'll be hiccups along the way. But so far, things are going quite well. Yeah, I, I think it's a huge testament to Operation War Speed, what we've seen to this point and, and what could be coming. But I think that the question that all Americans are asking now is how quickly will this get to me? It's great news that you have 200 million doses lined up from Moderna. We've got this 100 million doses from Pfizer. I guess there's still questions about what's happening with that. Have you signed the contract for, for a second batch of doses from, from Pfizer? Uh, well, I, I do wish we would stop uh, just talking about this Pfizer uh, Pfizer thing. You know, we've got 100 million from Pfizer uh, through March 31st, about 20 million a month. We've got the Moderna 100 million. We've got a second quarter of Moderna. We're actually enhancing Moderna's production capabilities to produce even more. And we're working with Pfizer, and I think we're very optimistic that we'll secure um, additional quantities in the second quarter. But they're going to need help from us on their manufacturing. As you know, they had originally committed that they could produce publicly 100 million doses by the end of this year. They had to cut that in half to 50 million. The U.S. is getting uh, its share, and we're obviously distributing their vaccine. But uh, we're having constructive discussions with them uh, and seeing what we, where we can get to on that. But remember, we now have commitments for 900 million doses of vaccine. We have options to take us up to 3 billion doses of vaccine. And we're looking at J&J &J and AstraZeneca possibly having data early January. Sure, but Pfizer is the only one that to date has received the emergency youth authorization. I think that's why people are, are so focused on that. I mean, if they have the ability to get us more doses in the first in the second quarter, you would think that that would be a high priority. Uh, it is a high priority. We want to add to our arsenal uh, or our portfolio, uh, but it's uh, we've we've actually got uh, a lot of vaccine coming. And there's none of this changes the proximate immediate term of what Pfizer can deliver out of their manufacturing. Uh, we're maximizing that. We'll help them obviously get higher yields if they're willing to take our help. But uh, but but, you know, this is all second quarter at this point that we're talking about. What do you mean willing to take your help? I, I thought HHS was already determining under Operation Warp Speed which companies would be getting access to some of the, the critical components of these no, you see, No, no, you see, Pfizer's got a different relationship with us. They're part of Operation Warp Speed. We have a $2 billion commitment for those first 100 million doses, but they've kept things more arm's length at their insistence throughout. Uh, so uh, we contract with a guaranteed purchase. So not but Operation we don't, Warp Speed. But, I'm sorry? And so they're, they're not Operation Warp Speed? They, no, I, I, they are part of Operation Warp Speed, but Becky, it's a different relationship. We contract, give them a guaranteed purchase that allows them to make capital investments, have, predict, have a predictable purchaser, but we don't have complete visibility into their manufacturing because they've kept that a bit more arm's length. Now, I'd like to see that changed. Uh, I'd like to have more visibility into that, and we are willing to provide every tool the U.S. government has to assist them in maximizing their yields, increasing production capacity. So it's not a matter of cost that's the holdup here? Oh, no. It's not, are, are no, they it's asking not about for more money? Becky, 
No, it's not. It's, this is not an issue of cost. It's about capabilities. Uh, uh, we will. We're working with them. It's very pr productive discussions. We'll use the full power of the U.S. government to assist, maximize production, as we always have been willing to do. Uh, I'm very optimistic. We'll get to a good place there. In terms of what to expect from Moderna, are you thinking that we could see these vaccines kind of roll out to Americans starting either this weekend or next week, too? Well, assuming the advisory committee goes well today and the FDA determines to grant authorization, we've already given Tuesday night an allocation to the governors of 5.9 million doses of Moderna vaccine that we're ready to start shipping this weekend to them for rollout Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. So um, uh, we're ready to go. Uh, the 5.9 million allocation on Moderna on top of the additional 2 million Pfizer allocation for next week. Mr. Secretary, I wanted to ask you a question slightly away from the vaccine, but just in the here and now, given the rise of COVID cases we're seeing around the country and some of the steps that governors, including Governor Cuomo in the state of New York, uh, or rather, I should say, for the city of New York, has, has implemented, including uh, closing indoor dining. Um, do you agree with that decision and some of the decisions that other lawmakers in other states are pursuing right now? Well, here's the concern that I've got is we need the American people to buy into and agree with these types of community mitigation steps. So they've got to be science and evidence based and the people have to believe that they make sense. So we see some of these restrictions on outdoor dining and outdoor activities that just aren't based in science and evidence. And then on the indoor, uh, that's a closer call. Um, uh, we can do indoor dining. We can do indoor activities. Uh, with appropriate uh, capacity limits such that we can uh, maintain social distance and uh, keep our face coverings on. Uh, but, but the outdoor stuff and some of these other things is almost um, uh, getting there too late in terms of the disease spread and going a bit overly aggressive uh, beyond what the science and the data would support. And then the other question I was going to ask is about how some business leaders are starting to think about several months from now, potentially whether they should be mandating vaccines either for their employees in certain cases. Obviously, healthcare workers in cer certain jobs already uh, mandate vaccines and the like, but even potentially for customers. So, for example, uh, passengers on airplanes and things like that. W where do you stand there? Uh, that's not something the federal government's going to be taking a position on. That's really done at the local level and obviously part of con contract and private negotiations between employees and employers and in the commercial space out there. Not something we get involved in. We're making the vaccine available. We'll make our recommendations for prioritized groups of getting it out. But mandates like that is something not, not, not done at the federal level. Uh, Mr. Secretary, let's talk a little bit more about what steps come next. I, I mean, obviously, hiccups along the way. We, we anticipated that with logistics, and it's, it pales in comparison to the idea that we are actually rolling these vaccines out to Americans this week. Uh, what, what were the biggest concerns that you saw this week, the biggest problems, and, and how do we tackle those? So things this week have actually gone remarkably well. Uh, we have incredible tracking systems on every box of uh, Pfizer product that's going out. The cold chain storage issues, as we had predicted, really are not a barrier. I was with the chief pharmacist at, uh, at Georgetown Hospital. He said, you know, this is what we do. We, 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 other than the fact that this is a COVID vaccine, uh, we deal with vaccines, we deal with cold chain, we know how to do this. So uh, the operations are working very well. Uh, General Perna and his team are working with FedEx and UPS on the snowstorm and weather issues there. But again, FedEx and UPS know how to deal with snowstorms. Uh, we had a couple, uh, just to give you a sense of how carefully the team is working on this, 
Um, General Perna talked about how we had a couple of shipments where there was an excursion of temperature that went actually below the, the cold limit to minus 92. We, we immediately saw that because of the tracking systems we have in place, the real-time tracking. We pulled those trays, we sub, and we immediately sent substitute trays, and now the FDA is going to be looking, working with Pfizer to see if those excursions are of concern uh, or if that product is still perfectly usable. But even from that, a, 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 a slight negative excursion, we were able to identify it and deal with it. But that's the kind of thing that with a complex operation like this we're going to do, and we're just looking out for patient safety at all times. Mr. Secretary, there are uh, some. There have been quite a few of these, uh, and, and I think we've um, sort of jumped to conclusions about uh, mutations and varying strains. But now there are apparently new strain featuring uh, 17 or so mutations. Um, is it? Is these reports? Uh, I think it's in a over in the UK and not here at this point. But do these reports rise to the level of being on, on your radar screen? And as part of Operation Warp Speed, do we need to, to anticipate a, a, a different uh, vaccine at some point if the, if the virus does mutate? So we've got no indication of any type of drift of the virus or mutation of the virus that would impact vaccine or therapeutic strategies. At this point, obviously, we're always looking at it. We're talking to the folks in the U.K. about those findings. We, we've seen many, many strains, many variants throughout the 11th-month public course of this disease so far. Um, but n so far, that hasn't really impacted issues of immunogenicity, uh, issues on the vaccine and the trials, but we'll obviously keep looking at that. But no, it's not of concern yet from talking to our scientific experts, but we'll be al always looking at it. Secretary, in terms of Christmas, Dr. Fauci, I'm not seeing my kids for Christmas. Uh, neither should you. Um, is, is, is everyone together on, on this in, in the administration at this point? No Christmas, really, or, or at least, you know, try to keep social contact even uh, from family members that aren't around. Don't do it. So it's, it's a range. You know, CDC, we've got on coronavirus.gov and cdc.gov a, a really good slide that actually talks about how you assess your degree of risk personally, your family risk, but then the options on what you do with a gathering. Now, uh, obviously, the if you being with not getting together with people from outside your household is the safest course. And of course, Dr. Fauci um, is almost 80 years old or 80 years old, so you know that fits into certain categories in terms of risk profile. Uh, but then we think about indoor gatherings. Indoor is obviously more risk than being outdoor. Indoor with ventilation is better than indoor without ventilation. Uh, the more people you get together who aren't from the same household, the greater the risk. So uh, what we try to do is present people with the information so they can make informed choices as opposed to setting down any kind of hard and fast rules on it. But we do know when we do these indoor gatherings, household, multi-household gatherings, we let our guard down. We, we get too close together. We don't keep our distance. We we drop our guard and take our masks off if we're not distant from each other. And that is how we're seeing a lot of disease spread. So I do... Uh, I do uh, recommend to people, please exercise that extra bit of caution this holiday season because we've got these vaccines. We've got Moderna, hopefully, in the next you know, days, if not hours. We've got Pfizer out there. We have AZ and J&J &J possibly coming. We have therapeutics that aren't even getting used enough, the monoclonal antibodies. Um, we now have home-based testing. We, we just approved home-based testing yesterday. I mean, so many developments, so much hope for the future. I want to make sure everyone gets to that point and by, uh, by some good behaviors to get there. 
Secretary Azar, you bring up those therapeutics that, that aren't getting the use they probably should be. We, we've heard uh, concerns that some of the states don't have the resources or the ability to get those um, therapeutics out there. What, what, what can we do at the federal level to kind of spur that on and make sure that these therapeutics are being used? They're, they're, they're fantastic therapeutics, and it's a shame to see them not being deployed. Yeah, the, the, the challenge is not one of the state having resources. The state doesn't have a role in distributing. They simply tell us, because they are you know, still in more limited supply, where they want it to go, which hospitals or other settings. The biggest challenge is the hospital-based nature of infusion, because these are right now still infusion products. And so you need people who are at risk of hospitalization, that's age 65 and above, or otherwise comorbid and at risk of severe complications and hospitalization, soon after getting a positive diagnosis to get on these therapies, these are people often who are feeling still quite well. They've gotten a positive diagnosis and you're asking them to get an infusion. We're working with companies like CVS to make sure home infusion's available, that it's reimbursed, that there are alternative infusion sites. It's one thing that MedStar Georgetown talked to me about yesterday, setting up alternate outpatient infusion sites, because it's too, by the time you show up at the ER, with severe symptoms, you know, you've already had a significant viral replication. So we want to get to you earlier, get get this in you earlier. So is it an education problem? Is it a problem that doctors aren't prescribing this and, and pushing their patients more frequently? How do we fix it? It's an education problem, and to be honest, we've seen from some of our infectious disease societies out there um, a very bizarre approach that doesn't necessarily recommend the use of these products. I can't explain it. It's not evidence-based. It's contrary to the FDA indication. It's contrary to the guidelines and recommendations from NIH and CDC. Um, We need our doctors and our healthcare professionals to use these products. They're in our arsenal. They, they, They can have incredible benefit, and they're critical right now as we have so many people going into the hospital to keep people out of the hospital. So why on earth are we not using these tools right up front? Secretary Azar, I want to thank you for your time today. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Thank you very much. Next on Squawk Pod, the mastermind of modern deals, Arye Burkhoff, says 2020's spectastic year may very well be just the beginning. You could even see individuals go public in SPACs or athletes go public through SPACs or, you know, celebrities go public through SPACs. Anything with a cashless stream, you could go public through SPACs. Deals, media, and media deals when we come back. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Becky Quick. Here's Andrew. Welcome back to Squawk Box. After 2020 upended and accelerated trends across our lives at home and work, I want to try to dig into what 2021 could bring. And joining us right now in a first on CNBC interview is Ari Burkhoff, LineTree's founder and CEO. Ari, it's great to see you. Uh, let's, let's do a little crystal ball gazing, uh, if you will, 
uh, given the conversations and time you spend, I would say, normally in the corner office or in boardrooms, but now you do it uh, on Zoom or virtually, about what you're seeing 2021 might look like. And let's start with just, I mean, you live in the deal space, how you think CEOs are thinking about the world and what the level of confidence uh, is one way or the other. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. And uh, I hope you and your family and everyone on the uh, Squawk Box team are doing well and finishing the year healthy and strong uh, and looking forward to uh, what we call uh, hopefully an extraordinary uh, year ahead um, because we have been uh, living in a very uh, big uh, crisis moment and we are, we still are, but hopefully that uh, we are uh, going to look forward into uh, brighter days ahead um, uh, post-vaccine. Um, well, CEOs are certainly feeling uh, uh, cautious about uh, you know, families and health and everything that we always talk about, um, but they are feeling more optimistic about the deal environment. We've, see, we've seen a remarkable pickup in the fourth quarter. Uh, in fact, I think going into 2021, this is our strongest pipeline at LionTree that we've had um, in terms of the deal environment. That's not the be-all, end-all for, for things that we should all be concerned about. Um, but from a deal perspective, all the fundamentals are positive. The market is wide open as you can see every day, it seems to be green. Uh, there is a wave of IPOs and the SPACs are all out there looking for deals and transactions, probably 200 today, all hunting for deals. Um, companies are looking for portfolio optimization. Uh, even the large conglomerates are starting to sell off pieces of businesses and there's openings for divisions to go public, not just the, the growth companies that want to go public for the first time, but divisions of existing companies are going to start to go public or separate in different transactions. Uh, we did one with uh, obviously Viacom CBS selling the uh, Simon & Schuster uh, business uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, and so they're all different types of transactions. And then also the interest rate environment is low, private equity activity is increasing. Um, and uh, and I think you know all the market fundamentals uh, are strong. So I think right. um, when you also look at elements of technology and growth, whether it's tourism and travel, uh, and events right. and some of the value driven plays are starting to come back as well. So, uh, you know, the thing we talk about almost every day uh, these days is SPACs and, and, and how SPACs are changing the, the dynamic. You talked about divisions being spun off. And, and one of the questions I've been looking to see is whether you think that there's going to be a number of SPACs effectively buying divisions of publicly traded companies. It's a harder thing to pull off from what I understand in part because you have to get audited financials for that division. Effectively, you have to bring investors uh, who would have in invested in a pipe, for example, over the wall, which means then they get sort of iced out about in, in terms of uh, being able to uh, invest or not in that company for, for, in some cases, an extended period of time. How do you see that all playing itself out? Well, it's interesting. You know, the tail wagging the dog concept is happening a lot. So I had a few meetings yesterday with CEOs where they were called from people in the press or from SPACs um, basically pushing transactions or speculation about transactions just by virtue of the fact that there are so many SPACs out there pushing deals. doesn't mean the deals are going to happen or that the deals should happen, but there's so much more conversation happening uh, because everything seemingly is possible and there's just a lot more chatter about you know the pitch. Um, so I think a lot of this is the pitch still. What should happen is really based on what the boardroom and the companies and the CEOs' objectives have to match up to. But there are certain dis, uh, di dynamics where you will see divisions of companies unlocking the value of the holding company by being separated. Um, that maybe takes a more risky division that is more of a growth 
has a growth orientation into a public dynamic and leaves right. the existing company uh, to, uh, to sort of like uncap its overhang. I think you're going to see some of those things. You can do it by separating the financials. It just takes a little bit more time. But I think the evolution of SPACs is going to get um, kind of interesting. I mean, you could even see individuals go public in SPACs or athletes go public through SPACs or, you know, celebrities go public through SPACs. Anything with a cashless stream, you could go public through SPACs. We have a concept that we're talking about is it's not just media, it's me-dia. So it's the individual channel. Uh, everyone has their own streaming platform that could extend all the way to public markets. Ari, I, I know we've got the SPAC craze, but did you just say individuals could go public in a SPAC and get money? I mean, that to me seems like the ultimate kind of craziness. Yeah, there, it's frothy. It's flush. Uh, but there's definitely talk of uh, uh, any uh, athlete or any uh, individual or even the Kardashians having an income stream or a brand that has cash flow. Uh, and, you know, 360 models around streaming and other forms of branded merchandising and e-commerce. Uh, it's not just an individual um, that's walking in the street. It's an individual that has a business plan around it that has a brand, and that business plan um, can go public. So there's a real fragmentation of media and a fragmentation of uh, income streams and athletes, and you're basically buying a future income stream. So uh, look, all these facts out there are all, they're not going to all find deals. And a lot of them are going to mature and die without finding the deal. Deal making in these facts is critical to get done, uh, but they're going to try hard and they're going to push the edges. All right. Two, 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 two quick questions. In the media and tech space for a very long time, people thought they'd build a company and then frankly try to sell it to an Alphabet, an Amazon, an Apple, etc. Uh, Facebook. Is that over? Do you believe that those companies are effectively not, can't be buyers for the foreseeable future? I don't think so. I mean, you're making that comment because of potential regulatory uh, scrutiny and pressure, but right. a lot of the media company uh, transactions that could happen with, with tech are not rising to the level of materiality, frankly. Um, we're not talking about uh, maybe big cat media being acquired by tech, but certainly there are a lot of studios and a lot of IP that's gonna be required by the tech platforms that all are competing with one another uh, in a race for the consumer globally. And what we've been seeing now with the HBO Warner announcement and the Disney announcement uh, is having proprietary content, exclusive content on your platform is now critical, that's the game. So that is that can be done in production and development, but also be done through acquisition, and that will go faster. So I think you'll see all the platforms streaming-wise, the streaming wars, start to buy up the remaining IP studios, big and small, to to have their own content uh, in-house, which will long which will long-term give power to the platform. I think short-term that is a good dynamic for the content owners and the media companies, but long-term the platform players the pluses, the, the Disney pluses, the Discovery pluses, the HBO Maxes, the ones that have the plus, that's the emphasis uh, for the future and the right positioning will have the power because then the, then the content can be leased over the long term. Aria, it's always great to see you. Uh, you always put out a great letter uh, predicting the future, and we will uh, see whether it all comes true and hope to see you uh, in person in the new year. We'll hope for a better 2021. Thanks very much. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear or you have some suggestions, let us know with a rating, a review, or a tweet. 
at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. And until then, enjoy the snow. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.